<laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you. I moved up to the headset this week. I know last time, if you were here in July, I preached last uh, in July, and I had the microphone. So, so I try. I'm trying the headset, the air traffic controller headset here. So it's good to be with you. We're in a season of Christmas, as we all know, and uh, we're in a series called Make Room, as you see there for this Christmas. And the series and the sermons this morning is Make Room for Joy. So we're going to look at a couple passages um, that they've selected, the church has selected for this time, and we're going to look, see some offer observations in there, and then at the end, we're, I'm going to have some practical steps we can take to... Um, Practice joy and have God develop joy, cultivate joy in our lives. So let's pray and then we can get into the message. It's good to be with you guys. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, your grace, um, that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Um, that you have given us your presence, that there is joy and gladness in your presence, Lord. And during this season that you gave your son to be born on this earth and become man in flesh um, and God, Lord. So we just thank you for the special time and for who you are. And uh, we just ask for your presence to be here and we get to know you a little more during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I don't know about you, but when I think about Christmas, I think about there's an ideal in the world. And then there's kind of the reality that we live in. Um, the ideal, we sh and we kind of strive for it sometimes. Um, we strive for the ideal, and sometimes we hope um, to avoid the reality of Christmas. Christmas is a special time. There's no doubt about it. People decorate their homes with lights and ornaments on trees. Christmas wreaths, like on the church or around the church or on the front door and in neighborhoods. And neighborhoods and cities decorate um, they put trees out in the, uh, time in the squares and all around the city. And it's a magical time where people come together and they give gifts. Um, they bake sweets. They cook turkey and ham. Christmas is a time when miracles can happen. We, I don't know. You've seen the Hallmark movies where everything will get resolved in an hour or so. A business will be saved magically. Romance will happen. There's that ideal of Christmas. That's around. Everything can seem right in the world. And we tell the story of a large middle-aged man who flies around the world on a sled pulled by flying reindeer and giving gifts um, to good little boys and girls. And even during this time, we can run up our credit card bill striving to make the ideal Christmas happen. However, during this season, there's no guarantee that life will be ideal. A lot of times, and for a lot of people, the Christmas season highlights what is missing or what is out of place. Maybe your family is all in different places or relationships are strained or a parent or spouse or child is gone. These, this is the reality. Maybe you're dealing with unemployment or health issues and what's supposed to be a season of abundance and it's, uh, can be a season of barrenness and where joy and cheer is expected Sorrow and disappointment can be lurking behind the brightly lit Christmas tree. The promise of the ideal Christmas can be broken by the contrasting reality that life is not ideal. 
So today we're going to look through a couple passages of Scripture that speaks to the real reason of Christmas and the joy we find when we make room for Jesus during this time. And I'll have some practical steps at the end uh, to help us experience joy during this time. So the first passage we're going to go through is Matthew, Matthew, <laughs> Matthew 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 2 and 6 through 6. And um, kind of to help us understand what's going on during this time, there's some background about this passage that will help us. Um, before the time of John the Baptist and Jesus ministry, it, there's a period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. So there's the last book of the Old Testament. And for 400 years, there's been no prophet, new prophet, no new word from God. It's just quiet, dry, nothing. Don't know what God's doing. Um, so there's no new prophet. And during this time, if you were Jewish, you would be studying the Old Testament. And you'd just be waiting for the Messiah to come. That's how the last book of the Old Testament uh, is. It talks about the coming Messiah. And so you're just waiting. So that's kind of the background to what's happening in Matthew. Um, so in Matthew 11, verse 2, it says, When John heard, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to him, being Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered John's disciples, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So there's a couple things I like to point out in this passage. Oops, wrong page. Uh, firstly, to make room for joy in our life, we need... Um, we must remove our ideal of Jesus. And I say that because earlier in the book of Matthew, we see that John the Baptist is the one who's pointing people to Jesus. He's the prophet that comes before Jesus. He points the way, tells people to repent. The Messiah is coming. He tells people, there's Jesus. There's the Messiah. He's sure. He's confident. And he's the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. And John's the one telling people, there's Jesus. There's the Son of God. He's proclaiming that. So what changed with John? How did John go from a confident man and purpose of what he was supposed to do with God and what God wanted him to do to confused and asking Jesus, hey, are you the Messiah or is there someone else? Like, that's a big change. So that happens in Matthew 3. He tells people, hey, there's Jesus. Follow him. Matthew 11. He's in prison. And he's like, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? So, it's, you know, it could be a couple of weeks, months. We don't know how long the actual time, but it's still a big change. So John is in prison for his righteousness. He tells uh, King Herod that he, he shouldn't have his brother's wife. And King Herod doesn't like that too much, so he throws him in prison. Um, so he's in prison for that. And um, let's see, where am I? Yes. And he hears about Jesus' ministry in prison, while he's in prison. And Jesus isn't judging the people or conquering the Roman government that has imprisoned him. And Jesus isn't setting up his earthly kingdom like he and many Jew Jewish people believed the Messiah would. 
And so we see this expectation John has when we go back to Matthew 3 in verse 11 and 12. We see John declare, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. So this is what John is telling people in chapter 3. So that's what he's coming from. That's his expectation. And then we see that Jesus, during that time, if you, I kind of did this exercise when I was uh, studying. You know in your Bible there's headings for each section? If you just flip through that and read the headings from Matthew 3 to Matthew 11, you'll see like Jesus heals many people. Jesus heals lepers, blind man. Um, Jesus preaches the good news. There's just a lot of healing and stuff that's going on in preaching. And so John's expecting Jesus to conquer the Roman Empire, and he's just preaching and healing people. Like, what's going on? Are you the Messiah? Um, So during this Christmas season of joy, it's because of the birth of the Messiah. But like John, we can miss out on the joy found in Jesus because of the circumstances we find ourselves in and misunderstanding God's actions and timing. John's in prison. He thought one thing was going to happen. Something else was going on. So during this time, we can make room for joy. We also need to make room for questions. Um, So John sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says in Matthew 11, 3, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for, for another? In John's understanding of the scriptures, the Messiah is supposed to judge and bring vengeance on the unbelieving world. But Jesus is preaching and healing many people instead. So Jesus' actions conflict with John's understanding of who the Messiah is. So, and this leads to a question. You know, you have one understanding, thing that's going to happen. It doesn't happen the way. You have some questions that pop up. But I'd love if we read down farther in that verse, I love Jesus' response to John's question. John's question. Instead of simply telling John, hey, I am the one. I'm the Messiah. Simple answer. Don't worry, John. I'm the Messiah. Jesus refers to God's word in Isaiah 35. So he, Jesus fulfills God's word when he stands by God's word. We see Jesus use God's word in the temptation. So I think it's really neat that Jesus, instead of just giving a straight answer, he goes, hey, Isaiah 35. We're going back to that. So we'll read that passage in a moment. But I don't know about you, but I can be like John sometimes. When God doesn't act according to my expectations or understanding of what I believe he has said or should do, I can become confused, frustrated, or even doubt what God is doing in my life or the world around us. Maybe we're frustrated that God hasn't healed us or a family member from an illness we've been praying about for years. Maybe we're confused why a relationship we prayed about hasn't been restored. Maybe we're anxious about the state of the world and why God allows evil, pain, and suffering to go on. And maybe we're stuck working at a job with no prospect of advancement or change. There's a lot of things that aren't right in our our estimation that can happen in this world. The important thing about questions, though, that you see from John is that it brings, is that we need to bring them to Jesus and God's word. 
So he's in prison, but he just doesn't let his questions, like, stew in his mind. He doesn't just hold on to him. He goes to Jesus and brings his questions to Jesus. And, uh, you know, we're, we all have relationships. We have, we've dated people, maybe. We have new friends. And what do we do? Whenever we start a new relationship and want to get to know someone, we ask questions. So in John's case, he has some understanding of who Jesus is. He's his cousin. Jesus and John are cousins. And he has more understanding during that time than a lot of people. Um, he's called out, he, Jesus is the Messiah. But he doesn't fully know Jesus or understand him, even with what he does know. So when Jesus acts away that conflicts what John previously understood, he asks for clarification. So when the goal of our questions is to know Jesus more clearly, Jesus will always answer. And Jesus reassures us with God's word. So I love that Jesus doesn't shame John or become angry or dismiss, dismiss John's questions. He reassures John that he is the Messiah by re- referring to God's word in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. It's hard to talk up here with this mic. <laughs> um, a passage, this passage tells us that the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God and the Messiah's ministry will look like. And questions are an part, important part of learning. And questions give us the opportunity to understand more deeply. So let's read Isaiah 35. It's uh, verse 1 to verse 10, so it's a good amount of scripture. But, and I think you'll see which, which verses that Jesus quotes. So it's important to see the whole thing. So Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, it says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crops. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. When the eyes of the blind shall be opened, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall not belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, no, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain the gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So that's, that's what John, he knows. Uh, he's been studying his whole life. He's been praying. He knows that verse. So when John, Jesus mentions the eyes are open, the deaf will hear, John has that in his memory bank. That's the Messiah. So that's how Jesus confirms, yes, I am the Messiah. You know, you're focusing on... Um, 
God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. God's going to punish his enemies. And he will deal with that in the second coming. But right now, Jesus, in that moment, he's healing, he's preaching. So I want to share some observations I see in this passage. Um, one thing that I see is that to receive restoration, we must acknowledge what we lack. So what does it say? The wilderness and the dry land will be a pool of water. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. Since the healthy will walk, or the, those who see will have better sight. So for God to restore something, you have to acknowledge that there's something that you lack, or something that's broken. And you see that here. Those are the ones that God interacts with. Those are the things that God's renewing. So if you are in a wilderness or a dry land today, or if you have an anxious heart, we must be honest with God that we're in that place. Because those are the places Jesus needs to heal. And he won't heal what we won't admit. We won't admit that something's not right, something's hurting, or unforgiveness towards someone, anything like that. Then how can God heal us? He knows there's a problem, but he allows us and wants us to come to him with those issues and be honest with it. Because he already knows, so you can't hide it from God. <laughs> he's just waiting for you to come to him and to ask. And we all have a need for Jesus, but the ones who receive from Jesus are those who are aware of their need. Throughout the Gospels, the people we see being healed are those who know their need and come to Jesus. The blind, the lame, the poor, demon-possessed, lepers, sinners, those who don't admit that they have a need, like the Pharisees or other religious leaders, reject Jesus and don't receive healing or, or a relationship with Jesus. So come to Jesus and honestly admit what you need. And like the end of Isaiah 35 says, they shall obtain gladness and joy. And I like, uh, I was looking through, um, it's always nice to have Bible study tools. There's a, a book called The Unger's Dictionary, Bible Dictionary. If you ever had a Bible Dictionary, they're pretty cool. So you can look up a word or a book or, you know, some other words you don't understand. There's a lot of words that are different in the Old Testament, New Testament. You can look those up and it'll give background to it. So I looked up joy to see what the biblical reference of that is and definition. And it says that joy is a delight of the mind arising from the consideration of a present or assured possession of a future good. And I think that's. That's what Isaiah 35 is talking about. That's how we can have joy during this season. When we think on God's word, when we are assured that good is coming to us in the future, that there is a kingdom of heaven that we are experiencing at a little bit now as saved, as saved people with the Holy Spirit, but it's going to be greater when Jesus comes um, at his second coming and sets up his earthly kingdom. And that's where we can find that joy and hope, that things will be made right, that Jesus will reign, and there will be good and joy and healing in the future. And we get a taste of that now in joy. So we have a present good because of our relationship with Jesus and salvation, and we have an assured possession of future good because of heaven and Jesus' earthly kingdom in him. So Isaiah, Isaiah 35, it speaks to that earthly kingdom of Jesus. 
and all will be made right in here. This is where we find it. To live for a king and a kingdom that is not yet. And trust in the promise of the king to come. So I want to end with some practical steps we can take to make room for joy, to put those things we've learned today into practice during the Christmas season. And hopefully it will encourage us with uh, God's promises that are still yet to be fulfilled. So if we want to experience joy this season, we need to do some things um, to um, experience more joy. You can be experienced joy. I'm not saying no one. It doesn't mean no one's experienced joy, but let's. we can always have more. And uh, there's always more in God. So going along with the make room theme, um, if we want to experience more joy, we need to make room for God's presence. So Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see that joy is a fruit of the spirit, and it's cultivated in God's presence. We can busy ourselves with so much preparation for Christmas. And so during this Christmas season, we need to set aside some intentional time to take um, to study the Bible and be in God's presence and to ask for his presence to give you joy because that's where he's the source of joy and peace and love and goodness and gentleness, self-control. So we want joy. We need to ask for it and spend time to make room for God's presence. I also love this verse from Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but as a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And Jesus is our desire fulfilled. It also says in Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that desire, when we, God changes that desire, makes it more about him. That's where we can find joy and life and peace. So today might not be the day where everything is put right and healed. You might still feel like a wilderness or a desert. But we see in the passage of Isaiah, there will be a day. And Jesus in the book of Matthew shows us that the kingdom of God is near and that he's working. He is healing. He's confirming that he's the Messiah. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has made peace between God and man. And in him we look forward in hope and joy. That, we w- that he will make all things new when he comes again. So another thing we can do, we can make room for joy. Making room for joy is an act of faith because there is that not yet uh, aspect of, of faith. Things aren't all right. Everything isn't made right and under the reign of Jesus in his fallen world. So I love referring to Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We hope that all things will be made right, that Jesus will reign. And the conviction of things not seen, that we don't see those things yet. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. In this fallen world we live in, we have trials, we have sicknesses, we have error, things that don't go right. Um, but God doesn't, and God doesn't always fix our earthly problems. But God gives us a vision of the future glory of his kingdom. With faith, there is always an element of unseenness. There's always something we can't see. We don't see the full picture. Walking in faith means trusting the word of God even when it contradicts our current situation. So I did this too when I was studying. Take some time this week or, yeah, this coming week and read through Hebrews 11. It gives so many examples 
of, uh, you know, Abraham, go to this country. He doesn't know where he's going. Or Sarah, you know, you're going to be pregnant one day. You're 85 years old or 90 years old. Or even when we think of Mary, she was a, a virgin, and God gave her, chi- gave her a child. So it's like those are two different realities here. God says this is going to happen. You're like, what? I've never known a man. How can I be pregnant and leave this? But she trusts and believes. So if you go through that list, you'll see all the people that have had faith. And it's a great reminder of the way of faith, of how we live. And how the men and women in that chapter believed God. And when he spoke a word that contradicted their current situation, they believed him. I like to think of it this way, too. Uh, With faith in Jesus, we trust the person more than our circumstances. Imagine we're in a room watching Van Gogh paint one of his masterpieces. As he starts to paint, we don't see the final picture. We We might not understand how one color will work with another or how one stroke will work together with another. In the beginning, we may even look, it may even look like a complete mess. But we keep watching and expect the painting to be beautiful because we trust the artist, his vision, his skills, more than we initially, more than what we initially see on the canvas. We've seen the artist's other finished work, and we think, and we trust that this unfinished painting will turn out just as good because we trust the artist more than we trust our own understanding of his actions. That's the same with God. We trust the artist more than we trust our own understanding of some of his actions. That is how, um, that is how uh, our lives are. In certain seasons of life, can, it can look like a mess. We don't understand that what God is doing, but God reassures us with scripture when he says in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this. Paul says this to readers, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day, at the day of Jesus Christ. Again, looking forward in hope and joy. And our, you know, another famous verse in Proverbs 3, 5, 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. We are very limited in our understanding, so we have to trust the God that's revealed us to, revealed himself to us and trust him. And 1 Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We see in these passages of scripture and throughout the whole Bible that one day Jesus will make all things whole and all things new. Our part is to trust in what God has revealed to us. And another thing to help with our joy is to make room for God's promises. Jesus promises in Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the destiny of all all of God's children, all those who trust in him, who have been saved by him. This is a life, the life on earth is temporary. So let these promises from God fill you with joy this Christmas season. Let's, let's end with this prayer um, from Romans 15, 13. It says, may God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.
us, Father. So, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word, for your promises, for your, for your joy and your presence in this place and in our lives, God. I love that in this verse it says, you fill us with all joy and peace in believing. It's believing in you, Jesus. We can't drum up these feelings on our own. And it's by your Holy Spirit that you give us joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. So would you help us uh, in this Christmas season as we go about our business in the following weeks, God, that you would draw our eyes to you in faith and on your promises, and you would remind us of your goodness and promises during this season, even when things aren't exactly how we want to be. And that there's joy in you because you didn't leave us in the place where we are, but you sent your son um, to be born so he would live a perfect life and die for our sins and be resurrected and to make us a place in heaven. And so we trust you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you didn't leave us, but you will meet us and you want to meet us more and more. And so would you encourage us this year with your presence and your joy? We thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus' name, we say amen. All right, that's what I got for you guys.